where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. I don't know where you've come in at or how you've gotten here today, but if all you leave with today is the truth that Jesus saves, then you've gotten exactly what you need. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you do me a favor? Why don't you open your your Bibles to Matthew, the 14th chapter. Matthew, the 14th chapter, beginning at verse 22. It's not lost on me how we're singing about the saving power of God. And we find ourselves in a text like this, this morning. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. If you're there, say amen. If you need some more time, say hold on. Amen. All right. Matthew, first book of the New Testament. Amen. That wasn't no shade. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Maybe, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. I'm just, I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Listen, y'all know how I like to do. We're gonna, I'm gonna read the odds. You're gonna read the evens. We're gonna read the last verse together. The first verse is on you. Verse 22 on the count of three. One, two, three. And after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Jesus came walking toward them on the sea very early in the morning. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. He said, come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? Altogether, then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. I just want to tag our exchange this morning, or almost afternoon, Lessons I've Learned from Walking with Jesus. Lessons I've Learned from Walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are great, glad, and grateful, and give your name praise that your hand is still saving to this day, that you can be counted on, you can be trusted in. We can believe in your name and find hope there, find peace there. And so we thank you, oh God, for the sacrifice of your son that has given us the right to be called children of God so that we might be in right relationship with you. Speak to us this day. Encourage our hearts, O God, we pray, so that we can know that no matter what we go through, you are there. And we can walk with you through it all. So God, we pray these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 You may be seated. 
lessons I've learned from walking with Jesus. Uh, some, some of you may uh, know, obviously, uh, because I, I get a chance to preach often, but I have four uh, wonderful children. Um, yeah, I say wonderful. I heard somebody laugh, and, and I, you know, as much as children can be wonderful, I love them dearly. Amen, somebody. Um, and so my, my kids, they're getting a little older now, which uh, in some ways I, I thought that my schedule would get more freed up because they're less dependent on me to do things for them. And what I'm finding out is that my schedule is actually more filled with their things than with my things. Um, there's a part of it I love because I love sports and my kids play sports, so I'm running all around to practices and, and games and, and all those things. And so we have conversations with our kids all the time about getting better at stuff, right? And for some reason, I don't know if you have, if you have kids, but if you do, I don't know if your kids are like mine, where for some reason they believe uh, that they can be great without having to do any type of work. One of my older children recently, we're standing in the kitchen, one of my older children recently said, Dad, what do you think I'm good at? It's a loaded question. And I responded to, to, to her and I said, I said, well, I could see you being good at a number of things, but you never stick with anything long enough for me to find out. I said it in love. It's truthful, but I said it in love. And I said to my kids, uh, uh, if you're going to be great at anything, it's going to require two things from you. It's going to require time, and it's going to require effort. For even the naturally gifted person can't ignore the requirement of time and effort if they want to be great. But the thing about time and effort is that time and effort help us to measure commitment. And commitment is measured by how well you press through adversity. Stay, stay with me. This ain't going to be a beat you up sermon, I promise. Just stick with me a little bit. But, but here's the thing about commitment. I, I believe that commitment assumes a number of things. I think com commitment assumes disappointment. It assumes distraction. It assumes fear and opposition and setbacks and detours. I think commitment even assumes failure. But commitment doesn't look at those things and say, this is not where I'm supposed to be, or this is not what I'm supposed to be doing, because for the committed person, the presence of these things just serves as a reminder that they haven't given up yet. See, here's the thing about commitment. Commitment can eventually lead you to greatness, but it doesn't show you what you'll experience or encounter on the way there. For greatness without adversity it's like a house of cards waiting to be pushed over by a gentle breeze. Can I be honest with you? If we're going to reshift our lives with God to its proper place, then we have to understand that walking with Jesus requires the investment of time and of effort. It requires our unadulterated commitment. Here's the first thing I want you to know. It's this, that walking with Jesus isn't always comfortable. Now, now I, I know I shouldn't have to say that. I know you know that already, but I feel like it's something that we constantly have to remind ourselves of, that walking with Jesus isn't always comfortable. 
And yet there is often this assumption that being in a relationship with Jesus means that life will get easier. But that couldn't be further from the truth. And one of the reasons it couldn't be further from the truth is because this new life, this, this life that you now have in Christ is at war with your old life. These two opposing lives aren't exchanging pleasantries with one another. They are experiencing a violent confrontation daily. That's why Paul writes in Romans, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. Oh, it's quiet in here. He also writes, if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, guess what's going to happen? You'll live. He then writes, those who are in the flesh can't please God, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, for if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Then in Galatians 5, he says, I say this, walk then by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For guess what? The desires are of the flesh are against the spirit, and what the spirit desires is against the flesh. They are what? Opposed to each other. And, and, and so this life that you have, they, they're, they're at war. They're at tug of war for your passions, but that's not it. Guess what else? The enemy wants you to hate God like he does. That, that's why Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6 that you have to put on the whole armor so that you can stand against his schemes, right? Because unlike God, he uses circumstances as a tool for temptation, not for the testing of your sanctification. That's why James writes this dichotomy in chapter 1 where he says that those who are tempted and then temptation leading to sin that's undealt with eventually will take you to death. But then earlier in the chapter, in chapter 1, he writes, but, but when God tests you, it's for, the, it's for the testing of your faith, which produces some things in your life, like character, like endurance, like self-control. It's not only that, but I've come to find out that the best lessons for growth come through adversity. It's no wonder why we have slogans like, just do it. Many of you are familiar with that slogan because I see a lot of Nike around the building. We're also familiar with phrases like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There is there's embedded understanding that difficulty does often mean that you will progress in something. Some of the best music that we have has come from the depths of heartbreak because adversity often produces genius. People generally achieve their best growth through pain. We know this from experience, if not ours, then from the experience of others. But we can clearly see it here in this passage as we get to Matthew chapter 14. By the time we get to verse 22, the disciples had just witnessed Jesus feed the 5,000, not including women and children. And, and the Bible says that he did that with five loaves and two fish. Now, one of the things I love about this story is that the Bible says that everyone ate and was satisfied. So Jesus took this five loaves and two fish and, and probably close to 10,000 people, and he fed them. And guess what? Nobody was still hungry. It said that everybody ate the sufficient amount that they were needed to be satisfied. And then guess what? There were still leftovers. 
So after this happens, Jesus tells the disciples to get in the boat and go ahead of him and cross over to the other side while he goes to pray. If you know anything about this story, he had just received word that his cousin had died. John the Baptist had got beheaded, and Jesus wanted to get away to spend some time with his father. Did you know that the God-man, who was 100% God and 100% man, still thought it necessary to, to get away from his friends, to get away from his people, his family, to get away from ministry to get away from people's needs so that he could go alone with his father and have time to pray that's another sermon but he had to get away and so he tells the disciples to go ahead of him he goes up on the mountain to pray to be alone and then after some time the bible says that it was late into the night and he's finished praying and he comes down the mountain and he begins to make his way to the disciples and around the time he makes his way to the, 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 to the disciples, the Bible says that, that it was very early in the morning because the boat was some distance away from the shore. Now, there's some information that's critical to us understanding what's going on that the Bible gives that I didn't mention, and that's in verse 24. And it says, meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land. And guess what happened? It was being battered by the waves because the wind was against them. So the disciples had spent most of the night rowing and couldn't make headway against these wind and these waves. Now, if you know anything about me, you know I hate going to the beach. I'm very unique in that sense. There aren't many people like me. One of the reasons I hate going to the beach is sometimes you get to the beach and it's windy. Now, if I plan on sitting on the sand, which I would never do, then that might be an ideal beach day to catch a little breeze. But if I'm going to the beach on a windy day and I'm getting in the water, I also don't like it because the strong wind makes the waves rougher, makes the waves bigger and more forceful. And ain't nobody got time to be like, I'm too old to be fighting waves. Like, I want something like a lazy river I can just kind of lay back in and enjoy. But if you're not careful, you can quickly find yourself on a windy day in the middle of a very dangerous situation. And it's not lost on me in this text that Jesus came walking in the same direction against the same wind and the same waves, yet wasn't experiencing the difficulty the disciples were. Even though they were equipped with the tools that should have made it easier for them to make progress. Can I share something with you? Just because Jesus tells you to go doesn't mean you won't face resistance. Listen, we have to be careful of assuming that just because we're having a difficult time, that it means you're not exactly where God wants you to be or doing exactly what God has called you to do. Look at Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers and was a prisoner for close to 20 years. And guess what? He was right where God wanted him to be. Or how about Daniel, thrown into a lion's den because of someone else's jealousy. And guess what? He was right where God wanted him to be. David being hunted in the wilderness by his father-in-law, the king. And guess what? He was right where God wanted him to be. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, a thrown into a fiery furnace for refusing to bow down. And guess what? They were right where God wanted them 
to be. And I love their response. I love what they say in light of their lives being in jeopardy and their safety being. They they say, even if our God, even if he chooses not to rescue us, we still won't bow down. All of them experienced long seasons of loneliness, being unjustly persecuted, having to face dangerous situations, not because they were living sinful lives, but the exact opposite, because they were walking with God and were exactly where he wanted them to be. That may not be your everyday experience as you walk with God, but the question before us is, will you embrace the discomfort this life has to offer? If it promises that you still get to be close to him. So we've seen that walking with Jesus often brings us to uncomfortable places. But you want to know what else I've learned? It's this, that life circumstances can sometimes make it feel like Jesus ain't there. You ever been there? You're going through something. And you're like, where, where is this friend that sticks closer than a brother? How come it feels like I'm broken hearted, but he not there? I thought he was supposed to save the crushed in spirit. You ever been there in your life where you feel like this is the time where I expect Jesus to be near and present and I don't feel nobody around? Jesus, as he begins to make his way across the sea, he's walking up towards the boat and they look out on the water and they see this figure and they cry out, oh, it's a ghost. And they shook. And their response to what they were seeing could only mean one thing. That what they were looking at had to be a something that could do what humans could not do. Because water don't work like that. You can't just stand on water. Or at least you're not supposed to be able to. And so Peter, of course it's Peter. Peter's always the first one to say something. Peter don't never let a situation process in his mind. Like he don't never see something and just be like, hmm, let me give some, let me give some thought to this. Peter, always the first one, as soon as he see it, he got something to say. I know we don't know nobody like that. But Peter sees this, he hears Jesus' response, and he says, Lord, if it's you, let me come to you. Let me walk out on the water with you. Peter wants to do what he sees Jesus doing. And Peter steps out onto the water, and to his surprise, he's actually not sinking in this water. He's walking on the water just like Jesus is walking on the water. And then very quickly, something changes. Peter's faith would have kept him safe. If he had not allowed his obedience to Jesus' call to be overwhelmed by his very natural perception of the danger to which he had rashly exposed himself. But here's the funny thing. The wind and the waves didn't start once Peter stepped out of the boat. Jesus was already performing the supernatural before Peter asked to join him. Peter knew the wind and the waves were present. He had been rowing against them all night. He knew when he stepped outside of that boat that he was not stepping onto a calm sea. And so what changed? 
I believe what happened in his mind was that the boat had provided a safety, a sense of safety and security that vanished the moment Peter climbed out of the boat to walk on the water with Jesus. If I give you an example, my, 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 my youngest daughter, uh, uh, Nyla, is five, five years old, and she's, she's like a little mermaid. She loves the water. Uh, she's, she's hit those water milestones before any of my other kids, and I got to watch her because sometimes she can be a little fearless. You know what I'm saying? You know them kids, right? Like they got no, no sense of danger around them. You got to. And so uh, earlier this summer, we go to the pool, and for the very first time, she started jumping off the ledge of the pool by herself without anybody needing to catch her. Y'all looking at me like, listen, this is a big deal for kids. This is a big milestone. When you can jump off the edge of the pool, go in the water, go underneath the water, and come back up and not have to hold your nose. You can hold your breath. You know what to do. Like, that's, that's when you know you're you getting somewhere. You know, you know what I'm saying? So she showed me this at the beginning of the summer. She's been doing it all summer. I've been proud of her. Watch, I'm a proud dad. Just watch. I'm like, go ahead, baby. I see you. I got you. I'm in your corner. So, so earlier this week, uh, some friends of ours invited us to their house. You know, cook some good food for us. Let us jump in a pool. And Nyla's doing the same thing as she's doing every other week. She's jumping in the, in the shallow end. She's jumping in, going underneath the water, coming back up. Eventually, I get in the pool. But I don't want to come in the shallow side because they got a diving board. So I'm going to go dive off the, jump off the diving board, right? And of course, you know, this is what kids do. They follow their dad, right? So my older kids, they start jumping off the diving board. Everybody's having a good time. Nyla steps up to the diving board. We're like, all right, Nyla, let's go. So Nyla walks to the edge of the diving board, and she's just looking. She's looking. She's like, Mommy, can you catch me? So my wife swims over to the edge of the diving board, uh, and she's like, I'll catch you. Go ahead and jump in. And so everybody's hyping her up. Come on, Nyla, you can jump. You can jump. And she's, she's, she's like, mm, mm. And so we're like, Nyla, it's the same water. You were jumping in on the other side. Same thing's going to happen. You're going to come right back up. You're going to swim like you normally. Now, on the shallow end, she was jumping in. Her feet can't touch the bottom at the shallow end. So what's the difference? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, like it, ain't, it ain't no different. So, we, so we're trying to hype her up. Come on, Nyla. She's, mmm, mmm. Now, after a while, you know, you tread water for a little while. You know, you get tired. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's like, well, after a little bit, it was like, all right, baby, you missed your opportunity. You're like, we tired out here. We got to go to the side. But, but as, I, as I thought about this, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, man, this, this, this is crazy that, you, that she wasn't willing to jump in. Mommy and daddy were ready in the water to catch her. She had her swim vest on like she normally does. But because she knew that the water was deeper on that end of the pool, her mind told her that none of the safety measures that were present could be trusted. It didn't matter that mommy and daddy had always caught her when she asked. It didn't matter that the life vest had always brought her back up to the surface when she jumped in by herself. All that mattered was that the water was too deep for her comfort. See, it wasn't Peter seeing the waves that was the issue. It was how seeing the waves made him respond. See, Peter's desire to imitate Jesus was in conflict with his assessment of the risk. Basically, his mind said, I want to be like Jesus until I see what it costs me. Listen, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you quite heard me, so let me put it like this. Us being near Jesus isn't the same as Jesus being near us. I, I know some of y'all looking at me. I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit. Listen, you can be in close proximity to Jesus 
and still doubt his saving power. I mean, we can look at the the life of Judas and, and some of the other religious leaders. But when Jesus draws near to you, there's a comfort and a peace and a calm that he brings that no storm will be able to shake you. But I love what happens next. Uh, Peter begins to, to sink underneath the waves and, and, and the water. And, and, and in verse 31, the Bible says that immediately Jesus reached out and caught his hand. Now, this is the second time this word is used in this passage. Earlier in verse 27, when the disciples thought that he was a ghost, he immediately called out to them to reassure them and let them know it was him. Because he didn't want them to be overwhelmed by fear. And now here, as Peter begins to sink under the waves, Jesus reaches out and immediately grabs him. Now, what, what I love about that is that he doesn't let Peter drown or even flounder a little bit before saving him. The only reason you ain't shout right there is because y'all know how we be when we want to teach somebody a lesson. You know, when we want somebody, when we want somebody to learn something, we, we let them flounder a little bit. Because we want them to know that if, if they behind didn't do what they did in the first place, they wouldn't be in this mess. And so we want them to know that we could save them, but we want them to question whether or not we will. Listen, I, I love, I love that our God is not vindictive like that. That, that he, he doesn't make us work for him to save us. He pulls him up onto the boat and he does say to him, he says, he says, Peter, he says, he says, why do you have so little faith? He says, why did you doubt? And this verb for doubt uh, denotes not so much a theological uncertainty or unbelief as much as it is a practical hesitation or a wavering uh, or like a, a being of two minds. And so Peter's problem was not so much a lack of intellectual conviction as it was the conflict between the evidence of his senses, how he felt, and the invitation of Jesus, what he called him to do. So Peter's faithlessness is to lack the practical confidence in God, which is required in those who seek his supernatural provision. Simply put, it's the willingness to test your belief. The text shows us that Peter wasn't willing to test his belief. And guess what happens? Jesus overrides his lack of faith. And saves him anyway. I'm I'm so glad that my God makes a habit of saving people who are struggling even in their faith. Even when you're struggling. Somebody need to hear this this morning. 
Somebody needs to settle this in their souls. Even when you're struggling, guess what? God's still there. Listen, I know walking with Jesus isn't always comfortable, and sometimes it may feel like he's not there. But there is one truth that every believer has to settle in their souls, and it's this. Who God is doesn't change based on our experience. Maybe I can say it like this. Who he has been is who he always will be. Once he pulls Peter up onto the boat, uh, 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 um, for some reason the wind just stops. This wasn't even the time where he told the wind to stop. Jesus gets into the boat, the wind stops, and then the people, the rest of the disciples that are on the, on, on the boat, they turn and they say, truly, you are the son of God. Now, the text doesn't say whether this declaration came as a result of Jesus walking on the water, uh, him saving Peter, the, feeder of the, the feeding of the 5,000, or some combination of them all. But what we do know is that their experience of him has caused them to think differently about who they believe him to be. But these are the positive experiences. What about when God doesn't come through? Who does he become when sickness doesn't leave our bodies? Or that, young, that loved one dies too soon? Is he simply God because he lifted you from the waves? Because you know how we do when we're in danger. It can cause us to confess who we want Jesus to be for that moment. But is he the same person to us then as he is when we feel safe? Who is he when you have everything that you need and some of the stuff that you want? It's in those moments that we have to wrestle with the question that he posed to the disciples a few chapters later. Who do you say that I am? You know, one of the awesome things about living life as a Christian is the reality that even though my circumstances may change, and even my commitment can wax or wane, my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, the older generations knew this, so they would regularly sing songs of reminder to themselves that even though this life can be unpredictable. There is safety with the one who never changes. So they would sing songs like this. Trust in him who will not leave you. Whatsoever years may bring. If by earthly friends forsaken. Still more closely to him cling. Listen, some of y'all may not know that verse. But you know the chorus. It goes, hold to his hand, God's unchanging hand. Hold to his hand, God's unchanging hand. Now, y'all know y'all don't know the second verse of this. But it says, when your journey is completed, if to God you have been true, fair and right your home in glory, your 
chorus. Come on, sing it with me. Hold, hold to his hand. God's unchanging hand. Hold to his hand. God's unchanging hand. Now your hearts on things eternal. Listen, I, I, I know that life can be unpredictable and you always don't have the answers for what's hiding around that dark corner but I just want to encourage you this morning to just hold on to his hand my brothers just hold on to his hand my sisters because I can tell you this I would much rather experience a storm with Jesus than all of the sunny days without him Amen. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual emphasis.